So good to be with all of you in the room. And for those of you that are online, it's so good to be here in, uh, what what'd you call it, in the loo? In the loo. I'm in the, I've, I've heard the song Skip to the Loo, and I'm told it's not the same thing. So I'm glad, very grateful to be here in St. Louis with all of you and just being able to spend some time with your pastors and your fa- their family and your leaders and your staff and uh, just, just an amazing time. And I just want you to know, Elevation Church, that your pastors, Pastors Daniel and Gretchen, are the real deal. They pray for you. They, they seek God for you. They're burdened for you. They carry a weight for you. Their heart is for you uh, to lead you into becoming more fully engaged followers of Jesus. And, and uh, I, I just want you to know, like, it, it's, it's not necessarily the norm to have pastors that are just truly surrendered and sacrifice and pour out their lives for you. And so come on, church, can you honor your pastors today? Let them know how much you love them. We love you. Guys are amazing. Amazing. And uh, it's just good to be a part of a church that is led well and is prayed for and uh, just have good leadership. And And um, I'm just really honored to be able to be with you today. And, and uh, part of the reason I'm able to be here is because of my family, because of my wife, Stephanie, and my three kids. Um, they uh, are on this journey with me. We're called together and, um, and just so thankful for them. Together, we planted a church in New Jersey in 2008 um, with ARC, the Association of Related Churches. And, um, man, I'm just so thankful. My wife, in case you're wondering, like, which one? They all look like his kids. Uh, no. Uh, my wife's in the middle with a the, with the flowery dress there. Um, right next to me is my 23-year-old daughter, Eden, and my wife, Stephanie, and then my 19-year-old daughter, Emma, and my son, Grant, who's 15 years old. And uh, just really grateful and thankful for them. Uh, they are the greatest joy and privilege of my life uh, to be um, privileged to be a part of their lives and so very thankful for them and and then I'm here on behalf of my pastors pastors Matt and Sarah Keller of Next Level Church in Fort Myers Florida Um, they planted Next Level in 2002 and um, all those years ago we'll be celebrating 20 years in May uh, of 2022 and um, they moved from small town Indiana the only home that they ever knew to Fort Myers, Florida, all by themselves with their their infant son, Will, at the time, with a burden in a heart to reach people for Jesus. And yet they were full of big vision and big hope, but were all alone and felt hopeless and felt clueless of how to lead a church with very little money in their pockets. And yet God sent them, and they tell the story that they were sitting on the edge of their bed in their small 800-square-foot apartment on the wrong side of town that they didn't know was the wrong side of town when they moved there. A crazy story when they tell it. And um, just tears in their eyes, just crying out to God, feeling again alone and hopeless and said, God, if you let us live through this, and it was a big if at the time, but God, if you let us live through this, we'll do whatever we can to make sure that no lead couple ever has to feel the way that we feel right now. And that was the birth of the Next Level Relational Network. And all those years ago, when they planted that, God has blessed our church and has allowed us to have uh, multiple locations. We're one church with, with many rooms, one house with many rooms, and, and just reaching thousands of people in southwest Florida. But more so than that, um, being able to 
be a part of churches like this all over the United States and Canada and Europe and China and South America. God is allowing us to expand our influence with well over 100 churches. And, and so just really honored to be a part of that and to be with you today. And today I'm excited. I, I really, I was texting some of our pastors in our in our network and, and just said, I just have this, this expectation in my spirit, church. I really do. An expectation in my spirit that God's going to do something very significant in us today. Are, are, are you open for that? I mean, are you, are, this is, I hope this isn't just something that you're checking your Sunday box and getting out of the way so that you can just go on with the rest of your week and I'm good with God because I went to church. I, I, I hope that you are here today because you actually believe that God can still do a miracle, that God can still break chains, that God can save marriages, that God can heal bodies, that God can heal addictions, that God can do a work in your life. Half of the room believes what I'm saying right now. Do the other, do we believe that today, church? Come on. And so I have this, this burden on my heart to just share a message with you today entitled, Be the Church. Be the Church. Not just go to church, but let's be the church. And I want to read from Mark chapter 2. This, this won't be on the screen, but let me just read this as we get started this morning. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, and this is when it says several days later, he had just healed a man with leprosy. Man came begging, Jesus, would you heal me? If, if it's your will, would you heal me? And Jesus stopped and like, it's a course. Of course it's my will. Be healed. And he was healed, and Jesus gave him some instructions that he ignored. The man ignored. I mean, Jesus just healed you, and you're still not going to do what he asked you to do. He ignored Jesus' instructions and went and told everybody about this Jesus that just healed him. And so a few days later, here's Jesus back in Capernaum. Several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Come on, let's pray. Father, right now in Jesus' name, we invite you. We invite you into this room. Jesus, we know that you are the one that we can lower the paralyzed areas of our life at your feet. And when we do, healing flows. You restore our relationship with you. You strengthen us and you breathe life into us. And God, I'm just praying that you would do just that in our midst today. As we hear your story and hear your word and God, learn what it means to be the church. God, would you move in our midst? Would you do something in each one of our hearts that's very unique to the story of our life? Would you change us today? We want to be more like you. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. What does it mean to be the church. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I like sports. Now, I'm from northwestern Pennsylvania, and uh, so that's Steeler country. Can I get an amen? All right, a couple of you, all right. I, I, you're just, I don't know if they're just creature of habit. I got a brother over here full of the Holy Ghost and power right here, Steelers fan. Let's go, Steeler Nation. Now, I, I don't know about you, I don't know what your favorite NFL team is, but I do know this. For the majority of us, on Super Bowl Sunday this year in 2021, we were not watching our favorite team. Unless you're Kansas City Chiefs fans in the room, any of you? No, that's what I thought. So, all right, maybe, maybe one. And I know no one's a Tampa Bay uh, Bucks fan in here because no one in this house of worship that loves Jesus would follow Tom Brady at all. Like, like can we just say that? No, I'm, I'm just having fun. I'm sure he's a great man. I'm sure he's a great man. 
sure he is. Um, but I'm a Steelers fan, and so I'm watching the Super Bowl, and my team's not in the Super Bowl, but I'm sitting at my home in front of my television, eating my nachos and wings, wearing my number seven Ben Roethlisberger jersey. My team's not even in the Super Bowl, and I bet if you were at a Super Bowl party, you were wearing your team's jersey as well, even if your team wasn't playing in the game. Why is it? It's because we, we just, we love being a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We love being a part of something that's moving forward, that's winning, that's, that's a, a championship, that's, that's just like your life's a part of. And I just want us to know, church, that we're actually putting football aside. We are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We are a part of a move of God that was designed in the heart and mind of God to reach people that are far from him, to draw them close to him. And that is the church, the body of his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are a part of something that someone that designed, spoke into existence, all of creation, I mean, that's our God. We are a part of something bigger than ourselves. So what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be a part of something bigger than ourselves? And I think we find it right here in this passage of Mark that we were just reading. Mark chapter 2, this will be on the screen. Take a look at this again, verse 1. It says that a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And so they gathered in such large numbers that there was not even any room left, not even outside the door. Now just pause there for a second. Think about that for a moment. Think about, just imagine yourself. I love when I'm, when I'm reading the Bible because I love the Bible. I love picturing myself in the story. I love picturing myself in the scripture, in the word, like just imagining what that would be like. So let's imagine that that's today. And this is going to take a great deal of imagination, but let's just imagine that I'm Jesus. Again, I said great deal of imagination. Jesus is preaching. The room is so full, like if it was this room, people would be sitting all around, not just in the chairs. They would be praying that the fire marshal wouldn't show up, but they'd be sitting everywhere. There would be no room left, not just chairs. They'd have all the chairs full, people sitting on the floor, people sitting all around, people sit, all the doors on both wings will be wide open, people standing all through the doors. No one else can get in the room because the crowd is so thick and so full. All through the foyer, the building is full, outside in the halls, people are outside the doors, doors are propped open, people are just trying to get into a place where they can at least hear what this man is saying that just healed a man from leprosy. They just want to get into his place, just access to him. Some are sitting in chairs, some are sitting on the floor, some are sitting uh, you know, outside, some are standing all over the place, and the room is so full. And then look what it says in verse 3, it says, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. What does it mean to be the church? Number one, it means this, and I hope you'll take some notes. It means that we do the heavy lifting. That we do the heavy lifting. Now, how many of you know a paralyzed man, a paralyzed woman, a paralyzed person needs to get into the presence of Jesus? And it's not to say that everybody in the room didn't didn't want to be in Jesus' presence, but I can promise you, just like you and I, that there are some whose needs in a moment in certain seasons of life are greater than our need. 
I would say a paralyzed man, his needs, his physical needs are certainly greater than my physical needs. And the crowd was surrounding Jesus because he was a healer. He had just healed someone. And so if there's anybody that needs physical healing, it's a paralyzed person that can't get to the feet of Jesus, can't get into his presence. And so to be the church, what did these four, these four men, we don't know what their relationship was with the parent. We don't know if they were just on their way to church, saw him, decided that's enough, picked him up and got him on a mat and grabbed a corner of his mat and carried him. We don't know if they were, if they were good friends. We don't know if they were related. Maybe they were, they were all brothers. We don't know fully their relationship with the man that was paralyzed. But we do know this, that they made a decision that because that person could not get to Jesus on their own, they would do the heavy lifting. They would do what it took to get that person at the feet of Jesus so he could experience the healing power of a living creator God. And that was on them. So what does it mean to be the church? It means that we do the heavy lifting. I'm telling you, there are people that you and I pass by, that we live by, that we work with, that we go to school with. We are around people, walking past people, maybe not physically paralyzed, maybe some are, but maybe not, the majority not physically paralyzed. But is it possible that their marriage is paralyzed? Is it possible their soul is paralyzed by depression? Is it possible that their relationships are paralyzed? Their family is struggling? Addiction has paralyzed them? other physical needs that just keep them away from truly being able to get in the presence of Jesus. And these four men made a decision that we're going to be with Jesus, but we're not going alone. We are going to bring with us somebody that is paralyzed. There are people, there are single moms that probably pull in the parking lot every single Sunday. That It was everything that they could do just to get to the doors, just to get, and they're carrying, that, that they've got the infant car carrier, that that thing weighs 10 pounds on its own. You put a, an eight-pound baby in it, and it's now 100 pounds. I don't know how it happens, but it is. Have you ever tried to carry one of those things? Like, it's just, dear Lord, what is in this? It's just, I picked it up without the baby, fine. Put the ba- I carry the baby, fine. I put the baby in it, and there's a multiplication factor that no one could figure out scientifically. <laughs> Something has happened here. But she's trying to get in the doors, and she just needs someone, someone to, to do some heavy lifting in her life, to, to help carry, to help pour in, to help support. There are people all around us that just need us to do some heavy lifting. Now let's get back to Jesus. Take a look at this, verse 4. It says that since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, and I love that phrase when because it just it literally opens up what is happening here. Digging through the roof, they lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus, say that phrase with me, he what? When Jesus what? When he saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. What does it mean to be the church? Number two, it means that we have faith for others. We have faith for others. Not only are we going to grab the corner of somebody's mat and do the heavy lifting, but it also means that we're going to start having an expectation in our life for them when they can't even expect it for themselves. It means that, that, and that expectation is going to move us to do some things that we would not do if we did not believe that their life could be changed simply by getting into the presence of Jesus. Now again, picture ourselves back in this story. 
Jesus is speaking, a room similar like this, people everywhere, crowded everywhere. He can barely walk. He can barely move around because everybody's sitting, everybody's standing, everybody's crowded the room. These men cannot get the paralyzed person, the one that truly needs to be in the presence of Jesus. They can't get him there. I mean, imagine what's happening here. Four of them somehow pick up this paralyzed man. And if you, if you know what like carrying like dead weight is, like somebody that like, they, he can't, he's paralyzed. He can't like get on someone's back and kind of hold on. They have to carry him, we don't, upstairs somehow. They got him somehow to the roof. And when they get up on the roof, again, picture this. Not only just getting on the roof, but bringing somebody that's paralyzed to the roof, holding on to him, making sure that he's safe. And they get to the place where they know that Jesus is speaking down below them. And they start digging through the roof. Digging, digging. Like if it was a roof like this, I mean, they would be up there with some sort of saw that they're cutting through. I mean, they're, they're pulling things. They're up there with pitch axe and shovels and wire cutters. and I mean, they're digging through the roof. Now, if you're below the ceiling that somebody is digging through, how many of you know, even though it's Jesus and he is the Son of God, debris is falling? He's probably stepping away, looking up like, what in the world is going on? He's never had that happen to him before. It's all new and the crowd's never been in a room where someone was so desperate to get it to Jesus that they would dig through a roof. And that's exactly what's happening. Drywall's falling, hay's falling. We don't know what all's in the roof, but it's falling all over the place. He's, he's pulling around and he looked up and it says that he saw something, he saw something about them that was different. Maybe even different than many that were in the room. It says that when he, he saw their faith, he saw their faith. Now we don't know if the if he saw faith in the paralyzed man. We don't we don't necessarily know if the, the paralyzed man was begging these four guys as they were walking by, hey, where are you guys going? We're going to see you and beg them to get we don't we don't fully know, but what we do know is that it says it wasn't just one person's, it wasn't just the par maybe he the paralyzed man had faith to be healed, but we certainly know that the others that were carrying his mat and carrying him up there certainly had faith for him to be healed because it says when he saw their faith. When we're the church, we will, we will see paralyzed people. We will see paralyzed marriages. And if your marriage has ever been paralyzed, you know it, is, it, is, it feels hopeless. You don't think this thing's ever going to make it. You've fully given up. You've already gone to the attorney. You've already gotten the papers. You have given up. But when somebody else looks at your marriage and says, I have hope for you. I have hope for your marriage. I expect God can heal that. I believe God can restore you. I believe God can bring love back into your marriage. When you have somebody else, something happens. It's, it's, it's shocking, isn't it? It's like, wait a second, but you, you don't know. You don't know what she's like. <laughs> you, you, don't, you, don't know, you don't know what he does. You don't know how he acts. I, I get it. You're right. I don't know, but I do know my Jesus. I do know the God that creates the heavens and the earth. I do know the healer. His name is Jehovah Rapha, and he doesn't just heal bodies. He will heal marriages. 
And when someone has hope for you and an expectation for you and faith for you, something triggers on the inside of us and it, and it causes us to, to lean in. And I promise you, let's just, let's just picture the paralyzed man does not have faith that he can be healed. Let's just imagine that he's been to so many church services, he's watched so many preachers, he's been prayed for so many times, anointed with oil a bazillion times and never received healing. He had no, let's just imagine he had no faith for himself and yet these four men had faith for him. They dig through the roof and Jesus sees their faith and immediately because of their faith, he speaks to the paralyzed man. Man, can we have faith for others? Can we believe God that he could do something significant in the life of somebody else simply because we were willing to do the heavy lifting and we were willing to have faith for others? It's not the end of the story. Take a look at this, verses 6 and 7. It says, so now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? What does it mean to be the church? Number three, it means that, that we will have critics. We will have critics. There will be some that criticize what's happening within the church, critics in the church. There might be some of us here right now. No, 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 not this service. It'll be the next service. The critics are in the next service. They're always in the second service. They'll never get up early enough to criticize the 930. <laughs> did he just say that? He did. He did. There will be critics. There'll be critics inside the church. There'll be critics outside the church. There'll be people that you work with, that you live next to, and, and they're, they're, they're seeing some change happening in your life. Critics that you go to school with, and they're, they're asking, hey, what are you doing this weekend? I, I, every time I get my hair cut, the person cutting my hair always asks, oh, what are you doing for the weekend? I'm like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm going to church. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I serve, and I'm a part of a church, and it always opens up some, some dialogue, and sometimes we'll hear critics. My son goes to a Christian school, and one of his Bible teacher is criticizing in the Bible class. He comes home and like he didn't even know who this preacher was, this well-known pastor of a church, very large church was. And the Bible teacher is criticizing this pastor, saying that they're not a real pastor and they don't they don't really preach Jesus. And I'm like, did you ask her if she's ever met him? Did you ask her if she's ever been to the church? Do you know him? I don't know him, but you're the Bible teacher. Did you ask them if they know that the Bible talks about not gossiping? Did you ask them that? I don't know. And it's, uh, I, get my, I get my son in detention quite often, actually. Um, no, I don't. But, uh, but there's going to be critics. There's going to be people like, oh, you go to that church. You go to the church in the bank. Oh, really? That's you, that's, there will be people criticizing outside, but there can also be critics inside. And here's what I know about criticism is it's a lot easier to criticize something that you're not helping to create. I'll say it again. It's a lot easy. It's really easy to criticize something you're not helping to create. Now, I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but I like to eat. I like food. I, I really enjoy food. And one of the things I also love to do is I like cooking. I, I really do. And I don't cook a ton. Like, I, I make a, a mean avocado toast. I don't know if anybody likes that. I like a mean avocado toast. Uh, but when I'm thinking of, like, dinner, like, if I was to make something and take the time and really pour into it, I would probably make eggplant parmesan. Now, and the reason that that's happened to me is that, that way back in the day, this has probably been, like, probably... 
a solid 18 years ago, my wife and I ran across, on, it was actually not on the Food Network. I don't even know if the Food Network existed. Probably didn't. It was PBS. And it was Lydia. Uh, I don't know if you know who Lydia is, a famous Italian chef. And, and on this, we're watching her, her show. And I, I'm just like, every time I watch it, I'm hungry. And we go eat Italian. And, uh, and so I'm like, we're going to get her cookbook. And so we order Lydia's cookbook. And in that cookbook, she has this eggplant Parmesan recipe. I'm like, I'm going to make this. And so as I, as I we open up the book, I find out, and if, you ever, if you've ever made something from a cookbook from scratch, there's usually another recipe within the recipe. Like, you can't just make this. If you're wanting to make this, there's another. Page number 222, you need to make the sauce. And that's exactly what was happening in this. I want to make eggplant parm, but I need to make the sauce from fresh. Ragu will not cut it in Lydia's cookbook. It just won't. Progresso is not progressive enough for Lydia. So I have to make the sauce. And so the way that it starts is you find your eggplant, you go shop, and you get all your fresh ingredients. And so I've got fresh eggplant. I'm not going to make pasta. That would be the third part of the recipe. I'm like, I ain't doing that. But I'm going to make the eggplant. So I get my eggplant. I've got to get Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese, specifically grated. I've got to get fresh mozzarella. It can't be the grated mozzarella in a bag. you got to get fresh mozzarella. you got to get fresh basil, a basil plant that you're pulling the leaves off and, and all of that, and all your fresh vegetables to make the sauce because you're going you're gonna to put your, your carrots and your onions and your celery in the, in the bottom of the pot, and you're starting to cook that. But before you get to that, you got to take your fresh eggplant, and you got to shave it, and you got to cut it in the specific inches and you've got to put some kosher salt on it and let it sit for over an hour and while that's sitting you're starting to make your sauce from scratch and and the, the aroma is just amazing that's happening as this is all going down the hour's up so you rinse your eggplant you rinse the salt off and and you go through the whole egg wash and and, and flour and breadcrumbs and that whole deal you pat the flour on the eggplant then you put it in the egg wash and then you put it in the breadcrumbs and and then you fry your eggplant and you get this perfectly crispy fried yes lord jesus heard an amen on the side over here you get this fresh crispy eggplant and and then now that your eggplant's done and your sauce is done you pull out that that like a lasagna pan the pyrex pan that nine by 13 inch glass pan and you put it on the thing and you ladle a little bit of this fresh sauce that you just made it's still hot you grate some of the parmigiano reggiano cheese over it and you lay some fresh basil on top of that and then you you gently everybody say gently Come on, Jesus. You gently lay your eggplant on top of that. And then you ladle a little bit of sauce on top of the eggplant, a little more Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese, some more fresh basil, and then some of that fresh mozzarella. You just kind of break it up and you kind of pull it across that. And then you do another layer of the eggplant and the sauce and the Parmigiano-Reggiano and the, and the basil and the fresh mozzarella, and then one more layer of all of that, and then you, you cover it back up with the, with the fresh mozzarella, and then you just a little more sauce on top, and then you cover it with foil, and you stick that bad boy in the oven, and you let it bake. You put a little fresh bread in there as well and get that toasted. And when it's done, you open that up and we'll sit our table. We'll get our family around. The pasta's cooked and everything's ready. We're sitting there and we're enjoying it. I've made this multiple, multiple times, as you can tell. <laughs> Every time. Every time there's something in like, oh, what'd you guys think? Oh, hey, dad, next time we do it, do this. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll tweak it that way. Great idea, great idea. And how about, and then I'll have some thoughts. I'm like, oh, I wish I uh, need, the sauce needed just a little bit more seasoning. And, and we're always able to critique it and we want to make it better. We were part of creating it. There's not criticizing of it there's critiquing now there's a big difference from that experience us us wanting to make our eggplant parmesan better to going to a restaurant 
and you walk in and they're not happy that you're there for whatever reason. I know they're open and they're paying people to be happy that you're there, but they're not. You walk in and it's like, oh, more people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more people. And you sit down at an Italian restaurant and, and service is slow and they already got your drink order wrong and they haven't brought the bread out. Or sorry, it's still, it's still bacon and you're slow on the bread and like, did you get the bread out? You know we want bread, people. You know we want bread. you right, bring some bread and they finally get the bread out and then I, or if it's an Italian restaurant, I'm going to order eggplant parmesan because I actually, I, I want to learn, I want to get better and it'll come out and it's just not that great and I mean, I'm, I, I will get critical. I can easily criticize something that I have not helped to create. And I'm just telling you, church, if we can make a shift, what does it mean to be the church? It means that sometimes we're going to have to deal with that critical heart, that critical mind, that critical spirit at times that tries to come upon us, that tries to tear apart something that we're not helping to create. And one of the easiest ways to be the church and overcome criticism is start creating it. Start creating an environment. Start being a part of what people experience when they walk in. Start being a part of investing in to what God is doing in his church. It's time that we step out and do a little less sitting and a little more carrying. A little less holding up space and, and clogging halls for people to get to Jesus and making space for getting to Jesus. It's time that we do a little less criticism. Let's get back to the story here. Verse 8, take a look at this. It says, immediately, he, he's here, he's, Jesus knows what these, these religious leaders are thinking in their hearts, what they're saying to themselves. And it says, immediately, he knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking this, these things? Which is easier to say? I love this question. Which is easier to say? To, is, it, is, it, is it easy to say, get up and walk or your sins be forgiven you? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? What's easier? A healing in your body or your spirit, your sins be forgiven? What's easier? Your sins be forgiven you or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. What is easier? Number four, what does it mean to be the church? It means that we always remember that the point is life change. The point is life change. Whether it's forgiving sins or whether it's healing bodies or whether it's restoring marriages or whether it's a service in here or whether it's an outreach event or whether it's a freedom experience or whether it's a Bible study or whether it's a prayer meeting or whether it's our kids in the kids area, babies in the nursery, preschoolers, preschoolers in, the, in their class, elementary, whatever it is, the whole point of what we're doing is life change. What does it mean to be the church? It means that we remember that the whole point is life change. You see, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, thought the whole point of what they were experiencing was to listen and to argue and to give feedback and to criticize. They thought the whole point of what was happening in that room was to actually debate the one that was leading the movement in the room. They missed the point. They thought, they, when, when they thought the whole point was to criticize the, the four men that tore open the roof and ruined their church building, that they just invested all of this time and energy. It took a lot to get this space right. Are we really going to let these four guys rip open the roof just to get one person to Jesus? Is that really what we're going to do? Is it really what we're going to do to allow our youth to come in here and have their own service? And I mean, they mess up the chairs and they get crumbs on the ground. And I mean, is this really what we're going to do? Here's I love this passage of scripture, Proverbs chapter 14, 4. It says, without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox. Everyone say strong ox. Turn to the person next to you, unless it's your wife, and say, strong ox. <laughs> 
But you need a strong ox for a large harvest, which means when, when that ox, a strong ox is in the stall, it's going to get messy. But we need that if we're going to reap a harvest. Sometimes it's going to get messy because we're, people are messy. Turn to the other person that you didn't want to talk to just a moment ago and say, you're messy. You're messy. Again, if it's your wife, don't say it. Oh, wait, too late. Sorry. The point is life change. Come on, everybody. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to see somebody's life change for eternity. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I know we design certain spaces and we design certain services and we design certain outreaches and certain ministries for certain things. But is it possible that sometimes a real legitimate need will cause us to call a timeout on what we're doing so someone can actually encounter Jesus in their life be changed because the whole point for what we're doing isn't that we start at 9:30 and end at 10:45. The whole point of what we're doing isn't that we get our our four songs in and our and our special announcements in and 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 we we're able to do offering. Don't forget offering, you know, and and then then outreach and we make sure online and this everything and it's all done and and we get to tie a little nice wrap it up perfect in this little wrapping paper and tie a little bow on it and poof. Oh, we had church. Wasn't it so good? Everything went great. Hey, if nobody's life was changed, it wasn't great. Can I say that again? If no one's, if somebody's life was not changed for eternity, what we're experiencing right now wasn't great. If your life isn't changed to move you forward into a greater experience with God and to reach more people from Jesus, then listen, then we didn't have church. Then we didn't have church. Oh, they sang my favorite song. Oh, the king of my heart. That's my favorite. Oh, no. That's my favorite song. They sang my song. We had church today. Hey. If you didn't let him become the king of your heart, not just saying you prayed a prayer at one point to say yes to Jesus, but I'm talking about, hey, he wants to be the king of your heart on that attitude that you had on the way driving over here. Are you going to let him be the king of that? He wants to be the king of your finances. Are you going to let him be the king of that? He wants to be the king of your attitude that says you're going to probably have to ask her for forgiveness for what you said to her. You're probably going to have to ask him for forgiveness for the way that you treated him. Parents, you're probably going to have, have to ask your kids to forgive you for the way that you acted and responded instead of, the way you reacted instead of responded in an appropriate way. You might have to ask, will you let him be the king of that? Because when we do, then we've had church. Then, because the real purpose is life change. Take a look at this as we're finishing up here. Verse 10. I love how he, how he, he says this. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. What does it mean to be the church? Number five, it means that we go home different than we came. We go home different than we came. Zeb, you can come on back up and help a brother out. I'd appreciate it. God wants us to come in here. He wants us to receive from him, to hear his word, to participate, to do some, some heavy lifting, to have faith for others, to, to experience his goodness and to hear his message and to witness somebody else's life being changed for eternity. God wants us to be in here, whether we're the paralyzed person that was carried in and someone had faith for us and we could barely get to Jesus on our own and we needed somebody to help lift us and, and believe God for change in our life. How, where, wherever we are in the story, you, we, we might be the one that's, that's being lowered down before the feet of Jesus, but we also could be the, the four on the roof that Jesus looked up and sees our faith. Wherever we are, we just need to know that the whole purpose is that when we leave this place, we live different. 
when we have an encounter together as the church, when that encounter is over and we're, we're going out from this out back into our community that we leave different. It's the whole point of it. So just for a minute, whether those of you that are online right now or those of us in this room, what was it like when you walked in today, when you logged on today? Where were you at? What was the state of your heart? What was the condition of your life before this time, an hour ago, an hour and a half, maybe two to three hours ago when you got up and started getting ready and maybe you hadn't even decided whether or not you were going to come and something happened like, I got to go, I got to log on, I got to be a part. Where were you at? Because the whole reason of all that we're doing right now is that you and I would actually be changed. Need healing today? The healer's here. Do you need hope today? The God of all hope is here. He's here. Do you need restoration? Do you need strength? I would imagine some of us are in this room today and we just need wisdom. We, we literally don't know what to do. There's some things that are in front of us, some decisions that are, be, that are before us right now, and we don't know what to do. Well, thank God. James, the brother of Jesus, said, if any of you lacks wisdom, just ask the giving God. He gives unto all liberally and ungrudgingly without reproaching or fault finding and it shall be given you. Do you need wisdom? The one, the wise one is here today. He's in the room. He's here. And he wants us to leave different than the way that we came. Look at this last verse, verse 12. It says that he got up. This is the paralyzed man. I love this. He gets up. He takes up his mat and walks out. Look at this last phrase in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never, it, we, I've never been to a church like that before. I've never seen anything like, I've never seen God move like that before. I've never seen anything like this before. I've just never seen it. What's, when's the last time you and I said something like that? I've never had an encounter with God like that before. I've never heard God speak to me like that before. I've never heard God touch, you know, touch my ears and I've never heard him whisper into my ear that way before. I've never, I've never experienced God touch my body that way before. I've never watched him move so mightily in somebody else's life and I've witnessed it. And I'm just telling you, church, you've seen some things that many others in the church world have never seen before. Never seen before. Never seen before. And I'm just telling you, Elevation Church, God wants to do more of this. God wants to do more, have more people saying, I've never seen anything like that before. And he wants to do it in each one of us on a regular basis. Maybe you've seen some things. I'm just telling you, there's more that God wants you to see that you've never seen before. He got up in full view of them all. The whole purpose is that we would be different. Look at the result. Here's the result. Others around us will see the life change and they're not drawn to us. They're drawn to Jesus. This is what it means to be the church. Not just Elevation Church, but to be the church. To be men and women and boys and girls whose lives have been changed with an encounter with Jesus. Would you close your eyes just for a moment in this, in this atmosphere, in this time, and just... Would you locate where you are? 
Where are you right now? Are you the, are you the one that that's needs someone to lift and grab a, a corner of your life and bring you to Jesus because there's areas of your life that are paralyzed? What do you need from Jesus right now in this moment? Do you need healing in your physical body? Just open up your heart and just even tell him right where you are. Just whisper, Jesus, I need your healing. Tell him, acknowledge, like, God, my finances are paralyzed. I've been just making some really hard decisions, some, some wrong decisions, or maybe I've been making all the right decisions and, and it's still not right, God. I'm just struggling financially. Just tell him, God, my marriage, my, my relationships, my friendships are, are broken and struggling. Jesus, I need you to touch my life. Are you the one on the mat today? Locate where you are. Maybe you're one of the religious ones that are criticizing what's happening. Maybe today in this moment, Jesus wants to speak to your heart and invite you to do less sitting and to carry more, to do less criticizing and more helping to create. Or maybe you're the one that's You've experienced the healing in the life of Jesus, and Jesus has seen your faith for others. And he's about to send you back out to carry somebody else in. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we're asking that you would lead us, that you'd speak to our hearts. We open up our hearts to you. God, heal these areas of our life, those of us that are struggling with being paralyzed. For those of you right now that are maybe struggling in your spirit, you're, you're paralyzed spiritually because you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus. Today's your day. This is your moment right now. And as simple as saying, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that God, the father miraculously raised you from the dead and that you are alive today. And my spiritual life is now alive in your life. And then just invite him to come into your heart. Jesus, come into my heart. Wash me clean of all my sins and be the Lord of my life. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you at the sound of my voice, I'm just going to count to three. And when I get to three, if that's you, just raise your hand. I just want to praise. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward, but just right where you are. That's me, Pastor Dan. Pray for me. I'm saying yes to relationship with Jesus or maybe rededicating your life to Jesus. You've done that, but you, you prayed once, at, but you've fallen away, and today's the day to come back. If that's you at the sound of my voice, you're saying, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Just lift your hand up. Lift your hand up. I, I see your hand. Praise God. Two. Come on. Three. Praise God. Father, right now you see these hands. And God, you see their hearts more importantly than their hand. And God, as they're opening up themselves to you, God, as they're saying yes to you today, coming back to you again, God, would you heal them spiritually? Breathe life into them. May they be your sons. May they be your daughters. May they live out the life you've called them to live as they continue to take steps. Today, they're different. Today, they're changed. And they'll never be the same again. And God, we commit all that you've been speaking to us today. Commit our hearts to you. Have your way in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. If you agree with that, would you say amen?